Hello and welcome to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women designed to support and resource you towards growth in all areas of life, spiritual, personal and professional. We seek to do this through the Catholic Women's Masterclass, The Genius Podcast and our Catholic Coaching Programs for Women. If you are interested in learning about any of these initiatives, please visit our website www.geniusproject.co and come and follow us on Instagram genius underscore project underscore daily or on Facebook the genius project or you can watch the live recordings of our interviews on the genius project YouTube channel. I lost my voice last week. My kids were absolutely cheering. So it's on its way back. It's still not 100%. So I hope you can bear with me with my raspy voice this week on the Genius Podcast. On this week's episode of the Genius Podcast, we're going to be talking about a topic that I think relates to all women, no matter what age, state, season of life you find yourself in. I'm sure there's going to be something in here for you. One of the things that I'm noticing in my coaching, the one-on-one coaching that I'm doing with women, but also in the masterclass groups is a recurring theme in the lives of women. And this theme or this pain point in the lives of women really centers around their whole area of confidence, how they're showing up for themselves, and this idea of self-worth and their self-image and how this then, I guess, shapes the landscape of their lives in terms of the results they're getting, how they're showing up, the quality of their relationships with others, and the quality of their relationship with themselves. So often in life, damage happens in this area of self-worth in our younger years, and somehow we carry that throughout our lives. And so to help me unpack this theme today, I am joined by Leah Darrow. Now, Leah is the author of the book, The Other Side of Beauty. In her book, Leah really exposes the lies that we're sold as women from a very young age about our value, our beauty, and our worth as women and as humans. And she does this by taking a look at what real beauty is and the kind of beauty that the world actually needs and the world actually longs for. Now, she's an expert in this area because she lived and breathed and worked in the fashion industry as a model. She draws on her experience as America's next top model and working as a fashion model in this industry. And her insights are quite powerful. These days, Leah is living with her husband, Ricky, and their six beautiful children on a farm in the central part of America. Leah is an author, a speaker, and a coach. And I know that today you're just going to love the insights that she's going to share in terms of how we can reclaim a sense of our self-worth as women, a sense of redefining what beauty really is so that we can actually live in freedom and wholeness in Christ. I really hope and pray that you enjoy my conversation with Leah Darrow. Well, Leah, welcome to the Genius Podcast. It's wonderful to have you joining us all the way from the United States. You're in central USA and we're in Australia. And it's just such a joy and an honor to have you joining us on the podcast. So welcome. Thank you. I cannot wait to chat about our topic today. And I'm so happy to be with you. So I'm ready to get started. Excellent. Well, thanks so much. I want you to tell us before we dive in a little bit about yourself, but in particular, you're based in the middle of the US. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And 
I think we connected on Instagram. I was following you and you really captivated me when you just first moved to this farm that your husband and you bought and it came time to eat the chickens. And I was wait, I was watching your Instagram stories over a few days, just this process of you coming to terms with and, and showing everybody what actually is involved. But this farm's been such an adventure for you both. Can you share a little bit about it? Because it's been great to watch the journey unfold. Yeah. So yeah, the, the day we had to butcher our, uh, our chickens was quite the day. That was a very big day on social media for me on the IG. I think I lost a few thousand followers, but I also gained quite a bit because I think people <laughs> were like, what is she doing? Or this is crazy. I'm going to keep watching yeah. either way. So Ricky and I've had this dream for a really long time. I mean, we've been married 10 years and probably since the very beginning, we always played around with this idea of like, wouldn't it be great when we have kids or after we had kids, like to raise them on a farm or raise them with lots of land. We kind of, we didn't really think about the farm piece immediate. We just thought it would be nice to have a big yard. And so we bought a house with a big yard um, outside the city. And then that big yard just kind of felt really small after, you know, two, three, four or five kids. And after kid number six, we're like, maybe we should actually, you know, double down on this dream that we have to get a farm and, and kind of just go for it. And so anyway, uh, we ended up doing that. We bought an 80 acre farm, um, in Southern Missouri here in the United States. And we decided we were just going to do it. Sometimes the best way to learn is just to try and <laughs> yep. And just, you know, just keep going, just keep trying and trying and trying. And so that's what we've been doing. So we dived deep into this area of homesteading and farm life. And so, um, yes, we have like this really sweet old farmhouse. We have 80 acres and we have lots of farm animals. Now we have cows and pigs and chickens and meat birds, meat birds, are the ones that we actually will raise to butcher. And then we do that ourselves as well. So we, so as you, as, yeah, as that you was what already, I was astounded by. Yeah. So, uh, I remember the day Ricky came to me and I knew it was happening. I knew it was going to happen at some point, but at this particular day last year, Ricky's like, today's the day. And no. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, we're butchering the chickens today. Ricky had previously made, he like made me watch YouTube videos in bed at night together of like, this is what you're going to have to do. Okay. Leah. We have to do this together. And I was like learning through YouTube about how to butcher a chicken. And I will save you the details. You can go on my Instagram. It's a highlight saved under the farm life um, yeah. highlight and you can watch the process there, but I made it. I did something I never thought I would do. And I, you know, I'm better for it, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's been lovely watching it. It is such an adventure and just watching mm -hmm. your life unfold. You've had so many different adventures over the years, haven't you? You've really had yeah. quite an expansive career and dived into lots of different areas. But I'm wondering if we can go back today. Our topic that we're going to be discussing is really around this idea of beauty as women. And it's an area mm -hmm. I think that we struggle with from little girls right up to elderly women I've met that do struggle in this area of just this deep desire to be beautiful, to be found captivating. And also 
I guess, the link to confidence and self-worth. And so that's what we're going to really unpack and dive into. But I know this has been a personal journey for you as well as your work with women in this area. Can you take us back, I guess, to your early years where I guess your experience with beauty and the beauty industry, because you were on America's Next Top Model, you were a fashion model. Um, And so you were really caught up in that industry, that secular world. I'm just wondering if you can take us back and just give us, I guess, a little bit of an overview about what that was like for you. And then that moment where you sort of had that awakening to your inner beauty as God's beloved daughter. Yeah. So there has been, uh, there's, that's quite the journey when it comes to the word beauty. Beauty is such a loaded word. Yeah, it is. So everyone has a different understanding of beauty when they hear that. And maybe beauty is a word that triggers you negatively. You know, maybe it's something where you automatically want to roll your eyes, or maybe you automatically feel less than, or you automatically start feeling imposter syndrome, or you automatically start, you know, being more drawn to it. Like, yes, I want more of that. How can I get it? And it becomes, you know, very um, consumeristic. And so beauty is again, this word that carries a lot of meaning. And for me, I remember thinking about that word beauty and putting beauty into this really tight little box of what that meant. And from me and my experience growing up, it was, uh, people, strangers walking up to me, um, you know, at the mall or, you know, while I was out shopping with my family or friends and somebody would just randomly say something like, Oh, well, you're pretty, you should be a model. Okay. And that's just kind of like this statement. And I remember hearing this from a few people and these were like, these were from perfect strangers. And this was not, some people might think um, like, oh, that maybe that made you feel good. It, it, for me, it didn't. It was just like, automatically I was targeted as like, somebody saw something in me and that's all they saw. And then that's all that I could do with it. Mm. So it, I, you know, I listened to this and I heard it a few times um, and it kind of began to make me believe that beauty was something that was very materialistic and also it was viable and it was physical. And I think that's the thing about beauty for many of us is that we think that there are these three, there are these three things. I, I talk about this a lot in the book that I wrote called The Other Side of Beauty and beauty has been really unfortunately distorted into these three elements that it's, that it's just physical, that it's also viable. Right. Um, and so, and uh, materialistic. And so when beauty is, is kind of brought into that very narrow focus, then there's only a few things that you can do with it and, um, and what you should do with it. So for me, that's just kind of what it felt like. It felt like, uh, because other people were saying that maybe about me, that nothing else about me was valuable. Mm. Yeah. And so with beauty, we oftentimes, especially as women, um, women just are beautiful by, by how they're made. Truly. I believe they're just, I, I think God has made women to be in some ways an ambassador of his beauty. Not that men don't have a role to play at all, but Different. women in particular, um, women have a very, very particular role of being ambassadors of the beauty of God. And so with that, um, and of course, you know, the devil knowing that evil, knowing that there's also a distortion in that too, that's really taken out. 
And so for women, and I know for me as well, you know, I looked at beauty and I looked at, I saw that as something that I tied my value to and my worth to. Mm-hmm. And so you know, when you hit your wagon of your, you know, validation and your worth and, you know, your identity and you hitch it to beauty. And of course, beauty is being hitched to this definition of the world and not of God. It's going to take you down a path that's not super great. And that's what I did. I mean, I was on that train, right? And so it looked like for me, I mean, I chased after it. I chased after the beauty. I chased after validation. I chased after worth. And I did get it from time to time. And I have these moments, these flashes where I have the validation and I have the worst. But the problem is, is that those, those are flashes in a pan. And there's these long stretches in between them that were very dark and uh, where I felt like I was nobody because nobody was looking at me. And I, would, I didn't have any worth because I didn't get the modeling job and someone else got it. Um, and I had no value because I was, I did not think that I was beautiful at all. Even if I got a job and someone said that I was good enough to have that job or to model for that clothing company, I still didn't believe them. Uh, and so that's what happened. I mean, I auditioned for America's Next Top Model. I was on that reality TV show. I stayed in New York. I continued modeling. And for me, everything kind of broke down when I was living in New York, modeling for major clothing companies and I was in New York Fashion Week and doing all of all of that stuff that every fashion model, you know, you know, tries to attain in their career. And I was in the middle. You just I was in the middle. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's I mean, I remember at one point, oh my gosh. I remember at one point I was in the I was still filming America's next top model. And I remember Tyra took all of us up on this rooftop this very high building in Times Square. And she, we were really, really high. And she was pointing to this billboard in Times Square and was so close. She could just see this woman, this model on this billboard. And um, she was like, if you work hard enough, mm-hmm. if you want it bad enough, you can be her. And for me, I saw that girl on that billboard and I'm like, that's success. That and is you believe that at that. Yeah, point. I cor- yeah, of course I believed it. Of course I believed it. I had one of my fashion, you know, icons telling me this, a model right there talking to me. I was on her reality TV show and, you know, we hold these, we hold certain people up, you know, and you get too close to your idols and you will soon let you down. Trust me. And, um, that, you know, that's what it was for me. I was just like, I wanted to be her. I wanted, and, you know, I think that is ultimately a part of this conversation too, is that we have this certain definition of beauty that's truly not based in reality and definitely not based in the word of God. But on top of that, that distorted view of beauty has with it a goal, a dream, and a plan for your life that you may not want. And for me, I was living other people's dream for me because of my distorted view of beauty. And it was something that all came crashing down actually in the middle of a fashion photo shoot, which is kind of ironic where, you know, in, in a sense, this word beauty was really being broken down and being built up right in the middle of the fashion, you know, like one of the fashion, you know, area, you know, just areas of the world in New York city. And it was in the middle of a fashion photo shoot where I ended up walking out, um, where I had a moment where I just knew that God was speaking to my heart. And I decided to slowly start rebuilding my life 
And I decided that I had been living other people's dreams for me. I had been accepting what beauty is from other people. Mm-hmm. And I, I just handed over my, you know, dignity. I handed over my, my, my value and my identity and my worth to other people who did not care about me. Mm-hmm. And that made me very angry. And it was a really good thing for me to get that angry. And I think that there's a righteous anger. There's like an anger that we as Christians should, you know, allow ourselves to feel and not just try to be so passive and like, no, everything's fine. I'm going to be, you know, peace at all times. But I was angry that I allowed my life to unfold the way that it did. And granted, I wasn't passing the buck. Like it, it was me. It's my fault. I made these choices, but I decided I'm not going to do that anymore. No. And, and so caught up in a cycle, don't you? Like it's a cycle yeah. that sweeps you up, I think. And so while we, we definitely have agency over our own lives, I think when we're young and we're vulnerable, we're very vulnerable to the, to getting swept up in a cycle and, and getting on that treadmill. Because once you start spinning, I liked what you said, you know, it's viable, beauty is viable. And so once we start, like we're really big with my daughters just on when you can wear makeup or when you could have nail polish. And because there's certain milestones you're not quite ready for. And once you start, it becomes this treadmill that it's very hard to put the brakes on that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 there's, there's so many pieces to that. So many layers to that. Um, it's also about the voices that you allow to speak to you, yeah. you know, and as well as other elements of beauty too. But like, what influences do you allow to hold and take root in your life? Yeah. And we have um, this beautiful, beautiful ability to choose or not choose those influences. Yeah. to a certain degree. And so I think that at some point for me, I just, you know, after kind of getting angry um, and then realizing, okay, so what am I going to do with this? You know, yeah. what am I going to do with this like anger? And I was like, okay, we're going to be productive. We're going to choose better. When you know better, you choose better. And I was like, okay. And I began slowly rebuilding um, myself with the Lord and also rebuilding and rehabilitating that word beauty and what the power of beauty can actually do in your life um, with the Lord, you know, at the center of it. And so, yeah, there's, it's stepping off of that treadmill. It's stepping off of of just like letting it go and being like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm going to start choosing my life. I'm going to start living as an active agent in my life, as somebody who um, will use the power of God in my life to choose uh, the way that is more in line with his will versus, you know, the will of the, of the world. Absolutely. And I think we sometimes don't realize that. I think we often go through life and we feel like we're a victim to our circumstances, mm-hmm. that life's just happening to us, that we don't have any control. And I remember a couple of years ago, COVID hit and we've been through a, a rough couple of years, but my friend in the US, she said, actually, Karen, you have far more power and control over the circumstances than you actually realize. And it was such a, it was a hard thing to hear because I just wanted someone to say, oh, it's so hard. But to take agency, to take ownership and to realize that we're called to co-create our lives with the Lord. So we actually are, as you said, called to be an active participant. So we can choose. I posted a quote on Instagram this week by Henry Nguyen. He just said, joy doesn't happen by accident. We choose it. 
in even in the most difficult circumstances of our lives, we have this capacity to choose. It's a God-given gift, the intellect, the will. And, and you and I both do a lot of work around coaching women in this. And I'd love to dive into that in a little bit because there's some very practical things, I think, that women need to learn because we grow up often not learning these skills and these tools to navigate life. But um, before we do that, can you take me back? Just let me know, how old were you when you had that moment in New York City? Jeez, I was 25, I believe. I was 25 when I had my, you know, conversion, reversion back to my faith, back to Christ. And yeah, and I'm 43 now. So it's... It's been a little while. Yeah. Because our life is very much split with seasons, isn't it? I look back to my late teens and early 20s, and there is this sense of striving for validation or trying to craft an identity, I guess. And even if we're living faith, if we're away from faith, if we're living faith, I think that's just a universal struggle for people in their late teens and their early 20s. I find in my 40s now it's quite a nice season because I feel really comfortable in my skin now and it's more about contribution, how we can serve mm-hmm. with what we've been given. So can you speak for a moment, I guess, to the younger women listening, the women who are single, who are struggling, I guess, with this idea of beauty? And there is very much that link between beauty and self-worth and confidence Can you speak into that for, I guess, the younger, the single women who are really battling Mm -hmm. with poor self-worth and self-image? Well, if you're battling it and if it's a struggle and if it's difficult, uh, that's a good sign for the record. So if that's you, that's great. Because if you're not at all, especially at that age, I would, (laughs) I would probably ask a lot more questions like, are you doing all right? Like, because That's kind of the time where we are, God kind of gives us that space and that time of our life to kind of work those things out. And though people, you know, when we are in our late teens and in our twenties, we're really targeted completely on social media and every form of it to really start to question (laughs) our identity and who we are and our worth and beauty and all of that. So the fact that if you are struggling and if it is challenging, I would say, number one, that's a really good sign. That's a good sign that it shows that you're actually doing something or you're disturbed by the incongruence of maybe what you're feeling or what, or what, what's really going on. So either way, that's a great place to start is if it's like, yeah, this is a struggle. That's a great thing. Paul talks about this all the time in scripture about there being a struggle, a thorn in his side, the battle, all the things, all those things he talks about putting on the armor of God. That means there is a battle. So that's typically a great place to be. You know, another thing I would like to mention too, for, for those who are in that stage of life, and they're struggling of what's going on and how I can be more confident is that confidence is keeping promises to yourself. Mm-hmm. You gain confidence by really keeping your word to yourself. So when we talk about confidence and beauty, um, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. It's more of just like confidence in who you are and your identity. And once you have that, you start seeing yourself the way that you should, which is you know, that you are beautifully made. I mean, Psalm 139 tells you right there, this is a great um, affirmation that I say to myself all the time. And I tell everybody else to say this as well, but Psalm 139 says, I praise you, Lord, for I am wonderfully and beautifully made. I mean, are wonderfully and fearfully made something like that. But the point is, is that you're wonderfully made. You're beautifully made. I mean, the Psalms tell us that now 
how do you feel that though? Right. And that comes from confidence and confidence is not just someone saying, oh, you're pretty. And then you like believing it. Confidence is actually you keeping your word to yourself and whatever it is you're doing in life. So when you set the alarm, the next, you know, tonight to wake up the next morning, whatever it is, do you, do you wake up when you say to yourself, you're going to wake up at that time? I don't care what time you choose, but it starts with these really small things. And when you create more confidence in yourself, you see the beauty that's already there because you look at yourself and you know, you've kept your word to yourself. And sometimes that's the hardest thing. And sometimes the, what we fight and what we battle most is really within ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And so a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of conversations, you know, as of late about, you know, bullying and anti-bullying. And I think they're really good conversations and I love them. I was very much affected in my grade school and even in my high school years um, by a bully, a couple of bullies who really had a negative impact on my life. So I understand deeply, I do the need for that, but I want to just remind Um, especially listeners who are in that, you know, that young adult stage is that sometimes we have to realize that we are the bully to ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that internal voice that you have, right, right. That internal dialogue, those words that you say to yourself that you would never say to anybody else, but you say them to yourself, like that is the bully that you need to stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a, I love that analogy, actually, because when you say that, I mean, as women, we have this heart that's protective, right? We want to, if we see someone being bullied, it's instinctual that we will step in to protect the person being bullied. And I think what you're touching on there is so important. It's a great visual analogy that we actually need to step in for ourselves and, Mm -hmm. and protect ourselves. So Leah, working, I know that you do a lot of coaching with women and I'm finding in my coaching, one thing that keeps coming up, it's a recurring theme in so many women's lives. It doesn't matter if they're 16, 20, I have a woman who's in her seventies actually, and she's still battling with this, but this idea of just the negative self-talk it's and what you're saying mm-hmm. that bully, the constant put downs, which actually create a lack of confidence and the lack of self-image and self-worth, what they'd say is they struggle with self-worth. So I'm wondering for women, regardless of age and circumstance, who is really struggling with their self-worth, they're Catholics who have been walking the faith for a long time. What are some practical ways in which they can actually, I guess, get a handle and get a little bit of control over that negative self-talk? Like we talked about being an active participant We have far more control than we realize. We don't actually have to play these scripts in our head. And I know, you know, doing the metanoia training, just realizing it was such an an eye opener when they said, you know, your um, negative thoughts are nothing more than sentences in your mind. That's all they are. So we actually can choose what sentences are running through our mind. So I'm wondering if you can speak in on a practical level to women who are struggling with self-worth, what can they actually do? They've been practicing the faith for a while, but they need some tools. They need some skills to start to actually become these active participants. Yeah. So, you know, you can say all of the scripts and affirmations to replace the negative with a positive one. And, you know, as you know, with neuroscience and neuroplasticity, all of this, that will work. However, It won't work if you don't get to the root of the original negative 
statement or thought. And what a lot of times people will end up saying is I have a negative self-image. I have negative self-worth. I need to work on this. So my first thought of working on this is not finding a script to replace something with. Um, but it's actually to get back to a belief that that negative thought is attached to and being able to, in a sense, like it's a very tightly woven braid that is tied into a certain thinking that we have. And unless you unravel the braid one by one, yeah, you're not going to be able to really make the progress, the lasting progress that we're looking for. So when I'm doing any type of coaching, we go over that and we go over a whole list of questions of like, what are the beliefs that we have about like, where is that negative thought coming from and digging and really digging where, where is it coming from? And a lot of times we see this obviously connected back to our childhood, right? I mean, we all have an origin story. We all have literally, we all started at some point in this life. We were created right by our parents and God, the father. And then there's been all these experiences. And then we're at this point now in our adulthood where we're like, I, you know, I think I'd like to understand myself better. And mm -hmm. I think I'd like to you know, live a little bit more of a free life. I'd like to have more energy. Or I'd like to like, let go of the pain. I'd like to have a better outlook on life. I want to actually be an active participant in my life, an active player. And so that has to do with doing some hard work. Right. And, and so I would go back and if you are struggling with self-worth, if you're struggling with something like write down, like, what is that phrase that you continue to say over and over? Where is it coming from? Because there is a belief attached to it. And our beliefs are really the, the area where all of these thoughts are formed. And some of these beliefs are not true, yes. but we have, have held onto them. And because of that, they've created uh, a, an image of ourself, um, what we believe our self-worth is. And so we base it on that. And until you've kind of like unbraid it mm. and undo those knots, you'll be able to kind of see like, oh, and I mean, I remember... I remember, I remember doing this particularly with me. I had a, I had a, um, I had a situation with me where, uh, for a long time, for instance, like very practical example here is for a very long time. I just always thought like I was stupid. I was dumb. Um, I did not think I was smart. I did not think I could make it. And I, my behavior started to follow that thought, even though it technically wasn't true. I'm able to learn. I'm able, you know, to do well in school, but I didn't because I believed I was not smart. Later on in college, I didn't want to believe it. You know, I was like, I was so tired of believing that I was stupid and believing I was smart and not doing well, barely graduating high school with my grades, but I did. But in college, I was like, I'm not, I, I just, I don't want to believe this anymore. So I worked really hard and I made straight A's and 4.0 and graduated with full honors all in college, but I still never dealt with the issue. I never dealt with, why do you think that you're not smart? And so it reared its ugly head, even after college, even after I got into a PhD program for neuropsychology, even after I was, I mean, like, it doesn't matter what I was doing and what I was proving to the world that I'm smart because inside I felt stupid. I felt like I was not good enough and I was never going to be the smart girl. And I had to prove myself to the world by being that. And I had to do the work. Like, what is this tied to? And I would go back and I would go back and I would think back about grade school. And I would even think like high school and then grade school. And then there was this one moment where I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. And it spent time journaling and really thinking about it, like doing the uncomfortable work of thinking about things that are yeah. hard and difficult and uncomfortable. But I remember it was this one moment 
where I was in first grade and I had this teacher who refused to allow me to participate in class because I had a stutter and my stutter was so extreme. Yes, I had a very bad stutter and the stutter was so extreme that I was not able to speak without stuttering a lot. And it would prohibit the class from moving quickly because the stutter was so severe. And so instead of me participating in these phonics lessons, when you like read and, you know, read in front of the class, uh, she did not like the fact that it took me too long. And she would every day hand me a box of unsharpened pencils and she would put me in the corner and she would make me sharpen pencils oh, while really? everybody else was in class. I was such a little girl. I was in first grade. Far out. So this message was clearly yeah. being told to me, yes. you're not smart. Yeah. You cannot speak. And because you can't speak, you're not smart and you can't participate. So keep your mouth shut. Don't speak up. And I internalized that experience to where it carried me on. And when I would, but the point is when I was able to kind of unbraid this experience for me, like, oh my gosh, this is where it's coming from. The freedom it gave me to understand myself, the freedom it gave me to think like, wow. And then I was able to like, look at that little girl in first grade and be like, oh, Leah, yeah. it's not that you're not smart. You had a hard time speaking and you needed some help actually you know, calming the anxieties within, within you to speak without stuttering, to do that work in therapy there. It's not that you're not smart. So I, I was able to kind of reach into that space of who I was as a little girl to understand that that negative self-worth that I carried for, oh my goodness, so long yeah. had nothing to do with actually my abilities, but it had to do with someone else's woundedness being brought into my life. Absolutely. And so often that's the case, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's somebody else's wounds or limitations, but they there's a message that we draw from those experiences yeah. and those wounds in life, which then turn into the beliefs, which shape. It's amazing the power of a single belief to shape our whole life. Yes. And so that's the awesome work of personal development. That's why I love this stuff so much. And, you know, you're able to like have a Christian worldview in here and you see like the Lord is calling us into this work. And in fact, I mean, if you call yourself a Christian, you've entered into the greatest personal development program on the planet. Amen. I mean, Christ calls us into transformation. He calls us into restoration. He calls us into resurrection. And so this is the work of kind of understanding who we are. I mean, I was able to, you know, forgive myself, forgive this teacher, um, to do the healing work within me, but also to see where that belief started. And that belief was tied into this really negative self-identity and self-worth. And I was able to change it and I no longer hold on to that. Like it is not, a, I absolutely, every time it tries to enter back into, I'm like, no, that is a lie. Yeah. I am, I am capable. I'm capable of learning. Yeah. I am, I am a smart woman and I am able to do all things with Christ. And I'm able to have like new beliefs that I work into my daily life to remind me of that truth because I, I've been able to see where it's coming from. Yeah. And it's so important just listening to you. It's incredible because if someone looks at your life on the outside and you just listed all of those achievements that you you made academically, but you, they weren't enough. Even though you had all of this evidence and proof that you actually were smart, it wasn't enough. 
Yep. It's it's incredible just the power. And I think the invitation for women actually is not to come away from this conversation with condemnation or feeling like I just can never get on top of this. This is always going to be this way. The invitation, because that's the enemy, that's the voice of the enemy that wants to keep women contained, right? He wants to keep them contained by the lies that they will never be able to overcome a certain thing. But I think the voice of God is very much this gentle invitation that's constantly inviting us into a deeper relationship with him. And that is a relationship where he wants to give us joy, freedom, and wholeness. And, you know, the beautiful scripture of be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Our transformation in Christ happens so much in this area of the work of our thought life. And so there's a beautiful invitation for women right here to really go away and and start to discover, start to do some of this work because the freedom, you've spoken about the freedom that you've experienced. I made a vow that I would never do public speaking, would never do podcast, never be on a video, never, ever, ever. And I, when I did my work, I traced it back to grade six, my confirmation. I was beside myself. I was asked to read a reading and I read the wrong reading. And I sat mm. down and everybody laughed at me. And I was a really shy kid. And it was just, I was done from that point, never again. And, but once you deal with that wound and that false belief, the freedom now, like oh, Jonathan and I speak, we speak around the world, we speak here in Australia. And I honestly, there's no sense of anxiety or nerves anymore because it's showing up with the gifts God's given me to serve in whatever capacity he asks. And there's a beautiful freedom that comes when we encounter Christ um, and his healing. And, and I do think, I mean, there's all this practical work, but even before that, there is an encounter that we're invited into with the Lord. And it's an encounter where we actually receive our identity as being the beloved daughter, being his beloved, that we don't have to do or prove our worth, that that identity just comes from the fact that we're his. And I think there's a beautiful starting place there, isn't there? Like just to encounter the Lord's unconditional love for us. Yeah, there's you know, our identity obviously is rooted in him and we as Christians know this. And I think what's really beautiful about doing this work. And when you, when you start doing work in personal development as a Christian, you don't go back to your past. You don't revisit the past. You don't revisit like wounds in the dark. You bring, you know, think about like bringing like this big lighted candle with you and you're going to go back you might have to go back to some things in the past to find some clarity around it or some deeper understanding, but you bring the light of Christ into that. And Christ shows you like, you're not in the dark alone. You're here with, he's with you. He's with you so that healing can, can be done yeah. so that you can continue moving forward. And I think being able to have that perspective in this work and knowing your identity in Christ from the very beginning is is obviously paramount. I mean, I always, I always go back to people, um, and I love to bring them back into, you know, the book of Genesis, go back to the very beginning. And, um, the first two questions that God ever uttered are in Genesis three. And the first question that he said to Adam and Eve, he said, which he says to humanity, he says to me and you right now, and everybody listening, the first question he said is, where are you? Where are you? And he asks us that to this day, like, where are you? You know, yeah. are you far from me? Are you drifting? 
Are you doubting? It's okay, but where are you? He wants to know. It's a, it's a question too, that God gives us, which is so beautiful because it's an invitation for a response, right? Mm. It's not a screaming thing. It's a, it's not a statement. It's a question because he wants, he's waiting for us to respond. The second question in Genesis that he gives to Adam and Eve, but again, he gives to all of humanity and to us is after they explained to him what had happened. Um, he asked them a very simple question and he just said, who told you? Mm. Who told you you were naked? Who told you about this? Again, pointing us to being able to pay attention to who are we listening to? Who are we listening to our life? Our identity in, in God, the father, our, our identity in Christ Jesus is one where we have to constantly kind of be checking ourselves and being like, where are we? Where am I in this path with the Lord? Yeah. And, and who, who's telling me mm. about myself? Like, Who's telling me what beauty is? Who's telling me what identity and self-worth are? Like, who says that? And God's asking us to kind of do a little bit of check of like, okay, are, are you with me? Where are you? Are you listening to me? I'm speaking. And it's just, you know, when I think about our identity in God, I, you know, there's so many things in scripture that we can look at, but I always seem to go back to Genesis three and I ask myself and I journal with those questions very often. Like, you know, where God asking me like, Leah, where are you right now? And Leah, who told you? Leah, who told you that? Are those my words? Or are those the words of the world? <laughs> who told you that? And why do you believe that? They're beautiful. I love those questions. And and just when you spoke them, that particularly that who told you, I think that's a really beautiful question for women to take before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament or in their personal prayer time. Just who's telling you these things about yourself? Who's telling you that? And then I guess to just receive from the Lord what he is saying, his truth about who you are. And I think one of the other practical skills is women discerning the voice of, of the, the voices that they're actually listening to. And we talk about the tone of the voice, like, is it harsh? Is it condemning? Is it critical? Because that's never the voice of the Lord. It's never the voice of truth about who we are and our worth. And I think one of the practical skills that women can learn is really tuning in, becoming intentional and learning to discern where those voices are coming from. So it's beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. And, you know, speaking about, about those voices of where they're coming from, and as you continue to do this work, um, you know, I, I would, I would also pay attention to your, your vocabulary. Absolutely. Yeah. Your vocabulary is just Amazing. I love, I love this. I, I teach a whole, like a whole, a whole session in my program is dedicated to just vocabulary because I really believe it's so important. And to have a, have a resurrection vocabulary, to have a, have a vocabulary that really speaks into new life, uh, is really important. So, you know, even if you're like, not sure where, what to do next, maybe something is pay attention to the words that you say each day that describe your day or describe yourself. Do you use words all the time? Like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, of course it's going to happen to me. Or you words like, okay, or fine. And if you want a fine life, then keep saying fine all yeah. the time. When someone says, how are you doing? I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you're going to get. That's all you're going to get if that, but if you want more out of your life, Look at how you just are describing your life. Look at how you're describing your day and your thoughts and yourself. I mean, they're just small things, but these small things do add up and it's very practical. It's, it's an easy exercise to do. I mean, just think about, 
what word you typically use to describe your day or yourself, and then maybe think about replacing them with more powerful or empowering words. Mm, so true. I mean, our whole culture and politically is being shaped by language, a change in language, right? Yes. So imagine yes. like if we reshape that language in our own life and, and God gives us that beautiful ability to do so. Leah, I'm wondering whether or not you would say a prayer just over the women listening mm. as we close this episode, because I think when we start to talk about these things, you know, the, the ground and the soil of our soul is stirred. And I'm just wondering if we, we love to just seal what we're doing, you know, what the Lord's doing in our life. So if you close in prayer, that would be beautiful. Absolutely. Thank you so much. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. And I just want to give you, Jesus, every ounce of my doubt. I want to give you every ounce of my imposter syndrome. I want to give you every ounce of fear that holds me back from being fully me. Lord Jesus, I want you to express in my heart the love you have for me. Express in the hearts of everyone listening the love you have for them. Everything that we bring to the Lord together, me and you, we give to the Lord. And so, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you just to come down and we're going to allow you to be you, to be Savior to be redeemer, to be king. And know that whatever you're stirring in our hearts, Lord, whatever it is, whatever the next step is for each one of us on our own terms and our own ways to take the next step towards growth with you, please guide and direct that step. Protect that step. Send your army of angels down upon us and down upon our families to protect us so that we may grow and develop more into the person that you, Jesus Christ, are calling us to be. However you are calling us to grow, Lord Jesus, we ask that you continue to shine your light upon that just next step so that we may do something, that we may take action, that we may be women of action, and that we may become closer into the person that you are calling us to be all for your glory and all for the kingdom. Amen. 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 Well, I really hope and pray that you found that conversation with Leah insightful, helpful, encouraging, and really gave you some practical insights and some ideas around how you can begin your journey towards wholeness in this area of self-worth and you really claiming and reclaiming a sense of your value, your dignity and your beauty as a beloved daughter and a woman in the world today. I wonder if you ever go through your life feeling that you are just not enough. If this is you, I'd really love to invite you to check out our Catholic coaching programs for Catholic women. In these programs, we really try and get to the root cause of, I guess, some of the results and the actions and the feelings that you're feeling in your life. This process is very biblical and it's deeply rooted in scripture. In scripture, we read that we are to be renewed by the transformation of our minds. 
but sometimes we actually don't know how to do this transformation. And what Catholic coaching can offer you is the tips and the tools and the strategies to learn how to be renewed and how to be an active participant in your own transformation. So ladies, if you're interested in finding out more about Catholic coaching for Catholic women, please send me an email, karen at geniusproject.co. It would be an incredible privilege and honor to walk alongside you and to really equip you with some of these tools and strategies to help you really grow and step into the fullness of who God has created you to be. Until next week, ladies, have a beautiful week. God bless you. And I look forward to you joining us again next week on the Genius Podcast.